You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Big greetings to you, dear listener. You are duly gathered to listen to episode 117 of Null and Void Sports Podcast, your weekly fix of top sports stories. We bring you 10 different sports stories tonight. Your contacts and opinions, and best of all, a top tennis coach to give you a detailed insight into the second week of the American Open. As ever, it's an absolute belter. My name is Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. Now, weekend, Andy, I was my TV sports watching, because that's what it mainly is, uh, was divided between football, cricket and tennis. How about you? Football and cricket mainly uh with a little bit of f1 and athletics thrown in as well but mainly i uh, didn't catch much on saturday evening i was lucky enough to miss newcastle's abysmal performance because i was out for dinner with my mum and brother in oxford i'm away for both of their birthdays in september um watching that little rugby shindig in france so went out for some drinks and then Picked a nice restaurant and mum and Jimmy had obviously decided that I won't be getting enough French food over the coming month. So we went to a really lovely little family run French restaurant in Oxford. So very, very nice meal was had um, with some early celebrations for them for later on in September. Excellent. OK, I've got tennis first as a sport, first sport we're going to mention, but it's only briefly because what I'm going to be saying there is our top tennis coach, Justin Cook, will be, long, be along a little later to give you a detailed insight into the American Open Tournament as it enters the second week. And Justin's the man, so let's let's wait till later, shall we? Yeah, okay. that makes sense. Yeah, cricket's next on my list. And obviously, well, n- not obviously, but the ODIs are going one way and the other. I watched the midweek men's crushing of New Zealand. I was very impressed. So what's the latest, Henry? Well, New Zealand have hit back. And after the Ashes summer, as you say, the men and women are both in action in white ball cricket. So the men have got a four-match T20 series against New Zealand, followed by 50-over game series against New Zealand and Ireland as they build up for their World Cup defence in India next month. And the women have got a T20 series against Sri Lanka and then a 50-over series against Sri Lanka. So, as you say, the men won convincingly in the first match Mm. um, against New Zealand in the midweek. David Malan and Harry Brook um, really featuring with the bat. Um, And in the second T20, uh, Joss Butler and Harry Brook absolutely cudgeled England to 198 runs on the board and a 95-run win. That was a fantastic performance. But over the weekend, New Zealand hit back in the third match um, with Finn Allen and Glenn Phillips hitting big to take New Zealand to an imposing 202. And you've got to remember, this is just off 20 overs, so 120 balls. So they're going at nearly two a ball, which doesn't sound like a lot when you set per ball, but when you add that up over an innings, to keep going at that rate is phenomenal. Um, so New Zealand, that target 202 was too big for England, um, which means that the game at Trent Bridge uh, on Tuesday evening will decide the series. So England are 2-1 up with one to play. Can New Zealand tie the series with another big performance? Can England win it in style? Um, I think the one thing we can say, touch wood, is given the conditions over the last couple of days and the forecast set fair for the week, that it shouldn't be affected by rain. And I've probably now put the absolute mockers on that. (laughs) So the women, as I said, are playing Sri Lanka. And that first game in the T20 was affected by rain. England looked dominant with the bats um, before the rain reduced Sri Lanka's chase to just six overs. At one point, we weren't sure we were going to get enough to get a, a game declared. You have to have at least five overs happen in a T20 match, five overs to each side for it to count as a result. So otherwise, at the confusion of some of our listeners who uh, 
don't like us talking about ties, draws, and no result. It would have been a no result and therefore a draw. Um, Sri Lanka hit back and won the second match at Chelmsford in style. They used their spinners effectively and actually five five of the six overs in the power play at the start of the innings were spin, which is unheard of in a lot yeah. of games. But it, it worked. England were 21 for three at that point and never really got the innings going, being bowled out for just 104, which Sri Lanka rattled off just two wickets down and with six and a half overs to spare. Um, so the series decider for them is at Derby on Wednesday. So we've got two series deciders in the T20s this week um, with everything to play for. So it should be great games. It'd be interesting to see what type of pitch is prepared at Derby. Do um, England ask the ground staff to negate the spin? But having said that, then Sri Lanka's left arm seamer um, was the other one that looked very, very threatening. So it's almost like damned if you do, damned if you don't. But at the same yeah. time, both sides, England, both England men and England women are using this after such an intense Ashes summer. They've got some players either out injured or being rested, and they're both using it to maybe broaden the depth. I think as the men's games go on through into the 50 overs against New Zealand and Ireland, they'll start to narrow that focus in. They've already announced the squad for the World Cup, so I think the focus will narrow in on ensuring that team are match ready. Good stuff. So, I mean, it is really good to watch as well, um, regardless of the results going against us a little bit. It's some great cricket. OK, uh, football I got next. We're up to the fourth game of the new season for most of the teams, that is. Um, for those of you who think badly of Chelsea, I've got some good news for you. They've spent a billion pounds since the new American owners took over. Actually, 400 million in the transfer window that has only just closed. A weekend, you take great pleasure, I did, in knowing they lost again at home to Nottingham Forest. Good old Nottingham Forest and Steve Cooper. There's got to be an argument there that surely under the Sale of Goods and Services Act, one of the sections that says about sold fit for purpose and does it hold up and... Todd Bowley, if he's kept the receipts, must be looking at whether he can get a refund on that 400 million or not. <laughs> I think we should call him Tom Bowley. But anyway, <laughs> Manchester City have a 100% record, 12 points uh, for, uh, from the four games. Um, as far as they're concerned, Harlan, well, he's good at hat-trick. He just keeps on scoring. He is an absolute beast. We've already said that, but he just underlined that again at weekend. London teams at Arsenal and Tottenham are chasing. Um, Arsenal beat Manchester United, uh, I say through gritted teeth because it was late on in that game. And for quite a bit of that game, United's tactics upset Arsenal. And if United had got a one-all draw, I'd have been more than delighted. But anyway, they two, scored two, I think it was 97th and 113th minute or something, uh, the goals came. Uh, but it was an improvement from United for all of that. That said, at the bottom end, Sheffield United, Burnley and Luton continue to struggle. OK, um, Rugby League, what have you got for us? Yeah, uh, Wigan have gone top. We've got three games left in the regular season and Wigan have taken advantage um, in the chase for the league leaders' shield that is awarded to the team top of the table before we go into the playoffs. Uh, they beat Salford and the Catalans lost to Hull Kingston Rovers. So Wigan have now overtaken the French side to go top of the table with three games left. Uh, Warrington moved up to fifth. They ended their eight-game losing streak last week. And this week they put in an 11-try win over strugglers Castleford. And that puts them right back really in the playoff frame and unlikely now to be caught mathematically still possible but I think they only need to take one or two points out of the next remaining three games and they've secured their playoff place uh, Leeds kept up the pressure on Hull Kingston Rovers for the last playoff place with a win away at Hull which was a great result for the Rhinos and then after Castleford uh, significant loss at the weekend Wakefield could have moved off the foot of the table 
with a win over St. Helens. But unfortunately for Wakefield, they lost 32-16. So I said last week that the fat lady had stepped onto the stage. I think this week, uh, with just three games left in the season, the orchestra have now played the intro. And she's getting yeah, right. ready. Yeah, yeah, you've done all of that now. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, but the absolute story of the weekend was on Friday night. So um, American football, there was a film a few years ago about American football called Friday Night Lights. Well, at Lee, in the rugby league game against Huddersfield, it was Friday Night No Lights. Because <laughs> at 48 minutes into the game, uh, with Lee leading 16-12, the floodlights failed. So they couldn't get them back on. 50p in the meter didn't help. Electricians called out, looked at that, no joy. So they had to cancel or cancel the game on Friday night. And then a rugby league panel was convened late Friday night, early Saturday morning to decide what needed to be done with the game. And they could say that the result as it was stood, they could cancel it and have the game restart again, which would probably have been the fairest result, seeing as they were only a few minutes into the second half. But bizarrely, what they decided was that both teams needed to go back and kick off with the clock as it stood when the lights went out and play the final 38 minutes on Sunday. Um, seemed a really bizarre decision. But Lee were the ones who reacted best to that and racked up a score having been 16-12 up on Friday night. They actually finished the game on Sunday tea time, 34-16 winners. So they ran out winners nearly two days after kicking off at the start of the game. This must be some sort of first, that. Huh? But anyway, <laughs> yeah. OK, um, Rugby Union. And obviously we're gearing up for the World Cup. Um, Stop. I don't, I don't think you're totally confident about all of this, but... Please tell us. <laughs> I'm really excited about the game on Friday. I think the World Cup starts with a bang on uh, Friday with France against New Zealand. My money is still on that also being the last game of the World Cup with the final in Paris. So this could be, if everything plays out the way I predict it will, this will be the um, warm-up game and the uh, not only the curtain opener for the title, but uh, a curtain opener for the tournament, but also a preview of what the final will look like so that's Paris on Friday night 8 p.m our time England starting Marseille against Argentina on Saturday less said about that the better I think Ireland play Romania on Sunday as a nice easy hit out um and Gregor Townsend's Scotland team face South Africa in a really tough game Wales who of course are in the same group as Fast Eddie's Australia um will be looking to avoid the same fate as England when on Sunday they play Fiji. So Fiji having sent out warnings to the world with their win at Twickenham the other week. Wales, who have probably been as dire as England through the warm-up series of games and over this year, now see if they can go one better than their um, Red Rose opponents and beat Fiji. England flew out on Friday. Um, and one thing that made me laugh was as they did one of those sort of media squad photos on the steps up into the BA plane and that was taken off. And someone had put a comment on social media that had me really chuckling was, are they just taking hand luggage? Traveling <laughs> <laughs> light. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with the insinuation that they won't be there long enough to need a suitcase full of kit. So that, that had me chuckling. But we shall see. Um, I will be taking just hand luggage with me to Marseille on the weekend, but I'm only out there from Friday to Monday. OK, we look forward to your report back from there. OK, uh, I've got athletics next, and I know you're going to talk about the Diamond League in Zurich, but I first want to mention a very special female athlete. Let me introduce you to 93-year-old world record-holding marathon runner, Mathia Allen-Smith, broke the world record in 2022 in the Honolulu Marathon, finishing in a magnificent 10 hours and 48 minutes. Now 93, she was 92 when she did that marathon, 93 now, American uh, Mathia intends to run her next marathon in Hawaii this month, September, as it's just become. She says 
get out there, get out there in the fresh air, get yourself fit and eat well, as her maxim for getting to 93 and running marathons. Well, whether you agree with her or not, it's a great story, Matthias, um, and it gives us all hope. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, so on to the Diamond League, Andy. Um, some good stuff there for us, from our point yeah. of view, Laura Mill. Yeah, great stuff. So Laura Mill bounced back from her disappointment um, in the World Championships in Budapest to win the Andrew Meters. So a great victory for her. And she looked really commanding as they came off the uh, top bend. She kicked away and no one was catching her. So really great performance. And then keeping up the middle distance run, obviously uh, Josh Kerr had won the mm. gold medal by a late burst that pipped Inga Britson on the line in Budapest. Well, Kerr was beaten on the line in yeah. the 1500 metres. Um, a great race, but just pipped by the, the American runner as they came into the final. It went down to a photo finish, which is very rare. The fifteen hundred comes down to a photo finish, but yep. for for that to happen, yeah, it was a it was an absolutely great performance to just take it on the line from Kerr. Okay, um, I got cycling next. You got some information for us there. A couple of events. Yeah, we've got a couple of events going on at the moment. So we've got La Vuelta España, which is one of the three big majors um and then we've also got the tour of britain taking place so that kicked off over the weekend in manchester and on the outskirts of manchester and there are some local uh british competitors in that i think the most famous one of the group is tom pidcock who obviously mixes his time between road racing and cross-country racing um but uh olaf kuji is um the leader the netherlands rider after stage two today, uh, and Wout van Aert, who's one of the top riders in the world, is in second place. So, uh, yeah, that they raced through, um, it was Manchester yesterday, and then it was around Wrexham, 109 kilometres today around Wrexham. So that finishes this weekend uh, with the finale. And then in the La Vuelta, we're into the second week. So some of the big hitters, Primo Roglic and Remco Evenepoel were battling it out over the weekend. Uh, but Team Jumbo Visner's American rider, Sepp Kuss, is in the leader's red jersey at the moment as we move into week two. This will take run through till the 17th of September. Uh, he's got a 43-second lead over local rider Mark Soler. But today was um, interesting when German Lennart Kamner uh, won the stage and he had added his name to the list of riders who won a stage at all three Grand Tours. So he's won a stage in the Tour de France, he's won a stage in the Giro d'Italia and he's now added a stage at the third and final Grand Tour, La Vuelta España. So well done to him. So we can continue to follow both of those uh, next week and onwards, yeah? Yeah, well, Excellent. we'll give you an update of the winner and the finale of the Tour of Britain. That's just a one week. And the uh, La Vuelta will be moving into its final week next week. OK, I mean, we've made a little bit of fun out of the F1. It's in Italy. It was in Italy at weekend. We've made, made a bit of fun about all we say is Max Verstappen. But in reality, let's applaud a fantastic driver. Uh, I think the uh, head of Mercedes was saying it's an irrelevance, the uh, the number of consecutive wins. Um, but actually, he did have to admit, you're talking about a great car and a great driver. And it takes a great deal of resilience to do what he's doing. And I know we've flippantly said, let's move on because he's won yet again. But how many consecutive wins now? Uh, well, yeah, uh, Verstappen won at the weekend. Shock. Um, but yeah. that's now... 10 consecutive race wins and actually all 13 of the races that have taken place thus far this season have been won by Red Bull drivers so Verstappen has won uh, sorry all 14 Verstappen's won 11 but 10 of those have been on the bounce and then Sergio Perez has won the other 
three. So brilliant, brilliant performance. So that takes the record from Sebastian Vettel uh, that Verstappen has now got 10 consecutive races. And what it means is he, if he takes six points more than Perez in the next race, he could then sit out the remaining races for the rest of the season and still win the title. He's currently 145 points ahead of Perez. There's 25 points per race and there's six races left. So by my limited mathematics, that means there's 150 points left on the table. So as long as he beats Perez by six points or more, he could, in essence, put his feet up for the rest of the season. He won't because, as you say, Red Bull have said that, you know, the, the record itself is irrelevant. Now, I think that's a bit harsh. And I think what they really mean is that actually they're not going to celebrate it now. They want to go on and win and dominate the rest of the season. Um, but it's certainly a great record to have when when Verstappen finally hangs up his uh, racing gloves, which hopefully won't be for a long time. He's, he's still relatively young in racing terms. Uh, but when he does, I think that's the sort of record that he can look back on then and also at the end of the season. But at the moment, they very much said that, yeah, it's 10 and we want more. Um, and Verstappen yeah, I mean, to really win the title. I just had a vision as you were talking about that, of the fact he could, you know, just sit out the, uh, uh, if, if you get to a certain level of points. And I had this vision of him sitting in the stand, smoking a cigar and, Drinking champagne, that would make some good shots for television, for sure. I think it would, but from obviously Formula One relies a lot on its sponsors and television, right? So they'd probably oh. come up with a way of fining in points and docking in points. The The disciplinary process in Formula One makes world rugby's look um, organised and sane. So, um, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure that he'd get away with that. But I love that idea, as you say, that image of him just watching and going, yeah, yeah. Back on, lads. <laughs> Hello, well done. Well done. Yeah, but anyway, okay. That's just my weird sense of humour. Um, so you've got, for the first time, a new sport to tell us about, haven't you? Yes, and an injury threat to uh, that could keep the reigning world champion from defending her crown in a bizarre injury you know in sport you sometimes hear of bizarre injuries like was it um goalkeeper david Besant ruled out of an england international after he dropped a glass bowl on his foot or england cricket all-rounder chris lewis shaving his head at the start of a tour of the west indies to make himself look meaner and then being ruled out of the first test with sunstroke well i think this is right up there the world stone skimming championships are coming up on one of the Scottish islands, Easdale, which is near Oban, um, on the 24th of September. But the reigning champion, Welshwoman Christina Bowen Bravery, might miss out. She's been the reigning champion since 2019 because they haven't actually taken place in the last three or four years due to COVID. So these are going to be the first ones since she won the title in 2019. But she's dislocated her finger a skimming stone finger. And for those that have ever skimmed stones at the seaside or on a lake, you know that it's your um, index yeah. finger, which is really important for skimming stones. Well, it got caught in a dog's collar as he jumped from the car to go on a walk and it's dislocated. So, yeah, she's strapped it up. She's taking painkillers and she's hoping that the couple of weeks rest will be enough for her to be able to go back. She actually came second in the British Championships this summer with a furthest distance of 44 metres. That's the sort of distance it takes to win world titles. So if you ever thought when you were at the seaside uh, with the kids, Tony, or as a youngster and you were skimming and it, you thought, oh, that was a pretty good one. Was it 44 metres good? Because that's the sort <laughs> of distance you'd need to be up there with the world leaders. But yeah, Possibly. so we'll, we'll keep listeners posted on how Christina's recovery goes and we'll let you know how the actual tournament goes on the 24th of September. But I saw that and thought, that's the sort of story, bizarre story and bizarre sport that is definitely needs to be on the null and void sporting roster. Yeah, and I just want at this point to make it clear, dear listener, we're not making this stuff up. <laughs> it did and has happened. <laughs> but the weirder they get, the more difficult it is to say, really? 
<laughs> well, we'll try <laughs> and find some more for you for next week, of course. Okay, um, moving on to contacts. Serious point first. Um, the following piece, uh, follow the piece I did last week about the diabolical behaviour of Luis R uh, Rubiales, the Spanish FA president. I received feedback from a group of four male friends of mine that took me by surprise and not in a good way. It was actually a conversation literally around the table. And the conversation started by one of them saying, I think the reaction is totally over the top, don't you, to this Spanish FA president? And I said, I said, over the top, what part of being the president of Spanish FA at the Women's World Cup final gives him the right to behave in such a male chauvinistic way? Interestingly, and this was for me a bit of a shock, interestingly, all of the group disagreed with me and I was verbally, verbally attacked and further views were expressed that quite shocked me, to be honest. And I'm not easily shocked, but I, I was. Apart from being shocked, it worries me how entrenched these male views are from otherwise intelligent, articulate people. They're actually my friends, so it was a bit hurtful to me anyway. In a way, it shows how big the task is, is not only at the highest levels of sport, but also amongst the general male public. I'm sorry to have to kind of report it, but it's it's right that, you know, it's nice when people agree with us, but equally, when they don't, we should also say it as well. But it, it was a little bit of a shock to me. Anyway, let's lighten the mood, shall we? You've got something from your mum, haven't you? Yeah, so regular listeners might remember that last week I shared the story about mum in Henley, and I said that I might be in trouble for sharing that story. Well, Lo and behold, Friday morning, I knew that mum had just finished listening to our episode when I got a text through and all it said was, you're in trouble. <laughs> Chilling <laughs> words to open up that text message and just look at that and go, you're in trouble. And I immediately knew what it meant. You know, now norm normally if I get a text message from my mum saying you're in trouble, it could be one of a million different things. And I have to sit there and uh, you knew. maybe say, yeah, what, what what, about this time? Well, this time I knew exactly what it was. And then when I phoned on Friday evening to sort out the logistics for her and my brother's birthday meal on Saturday, who we mentioned earlier, the first question I had to ask was, is it still happening? Are we still on? Are you still <laughs> talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> so so thankfully all was forgiven but um i am wondering if i can put in the uh cost of that birthday drinks and meal onto my null and void expenses account because it was a cost that was incurred due to uh unwise words on the podcast <laughs> dream on dream on <laughs> funny enough I, i'm meeting mike dinsdale in henley he lives in henley but i've actually given him directions for the pavilion <laughs> <laughs> but anyway yeah okay good good stuff so next up is our guest the great thing about the big tennis tournaments being on is we can invite justin cook our top tennis coach to come in and share with us his knowledge of how he thinks the tournament will go and now we're into the second week now the american open i say the second week Let's just say hello again to Justin Cook of the JC Tennis Centre. Justin, how are you doing, mate? I'm doing okay, thank you. Yeah, a little bit jet lagged, but fine. Yeah, Where is yeah. it that you've flown in from this time, Justin? Because I know when we spoke uh, to you last, you'd just come back as well. That's right. Um, come back from Lanzarote. It was a, a, a family week. And the reason being, we'd had such uh, appalling weather and things. We thought, well, let's get away. Now we've come back to a heat wave, so... <laughs> Obviously, it's been a good thing to do, the right thing, bring the weather back. <laughs> I'm well pleased we've managed to do that. So have, have you managed to uh, follow uh, the Open while you've been away? I know time difference is everything else, a bit difficult. Have you uh, kept up with it? I've kept up with it and, uh, you know, the odd surprise along the way. And I've got, got an idea on how I think the tournament's going to pan out. But look, last time I told you... Uh, that 
Djokovic was definitely going to win Wimbledon. And Alcaraz will probably get to the final, but he's too young to win it. Um, well, I'm too old to give the right answers for us, Alex, because he <laughs> turned it on its head. But I did say to you, he is the one that could could turn the screw and actually yeah. get into Djokovic's head. So uh, I think it's going to be a similar final this year. But I'm hoping Draper, who's playing as we speak, um, can actually get to a semi-final. I think what the determining factor with him is, it's not his game, which is obviously really a world-class game, but he seems to be uh, somebody that suffers from a lot of injuries. And If the mechanics work well, I think he can go deep into the tournament. He's a big hitter, he's got a huge serve. He just seems to be ready for the big time. And it does take its toll, doesn't it, in the second week of a of a major. The physicality, as you say, Justin, you know, it's a, it's not like a lot of the tournaments are maybe a couple of days or a weekend. That second week is where any aches, niggles and pains really start to need to be managed. Well, I think, look, the, the top players think the tournament starts this week. They go through one or two rounds and then you see them have a few hiccups en route, like Djokovic winning in straight sets yesterday and then giving his team the biggest telling off because he keeps them on his toes allegedly and they keep him on his um it just shows that you know they expect to get to where they are quite comfortably but then things don't always work out how they how they want them to but draper's not used to getting deep into the tournament i don't really know how far he's got in the majors but he's definitely got the credentials to really do well in this one I mean, what would be great is it will be an Alcaraz Draper final. I think Draper is older. So I don't, I don't know whether that will make any difference. But we've got quite a few young young players doing really, really well. So I don't, I don't it's an inter much. interesting story, that Draper one, because um, he was saying uh, after his win uh, a couple of days ago that he wasn't even sure he'd be able to walk this year, never mind play in the um, final so that's that's quite an achievement so but that is the thing it seems to be very given to and it happens with footballers you know they're injury prone hopefully he's past that phase because he certainly looks like he's got the ability and temperament yeah i mean let, let's hope he can do it i mean i bet you if you spoke to any of the uh players in quarter when they get to quarterfinals and they said, are you physically 100 percent? They'll always say yes. But actually, behind the scenes, there's a lot going on. You know, it's like a Formula One car will break down. And they, they all have this, this problem because it's so intense that things do give. Um, I've, I've seen Djokovic certainly winning uh, Grand Slams where you think, oh, he's not even not even 50 percent of the player he can be. He's done that. He did that, I think, the Aussie Open this year, if I remember rightly. But, yeah, it's a, it's the physicality of it. Um, Draper, I think he's dropped one set so far. So, you know, it's not going to be absolutely exhausting for him. So, hopefully, he can get yeah. through a round or two more. I'm really hoping so. I watched one of the games I did watch in almost its entirety was the Dan Evans-Alcaraz game. And that was a cracking game. I know... Evans lost, yeah. but what impressed me in that was that the athleticism that Dan Evans showed, because Alcaraz is the supreme athlete, so mobile and flexible, and but also Dan Evans was saying, we're here, we should have a smile on our face, we should entertain people, and one of the things that happened was, there was this amazing rally, side to side, side to side, and with it resulted in the end with Alcaraz running from one side to the other and hitting an absolute winner past Evans. And Evans just sort of looked at what had happened and threw down his racket on the ground and went, what can what you can do? do? What, yeah, what, yeah what, what more can I do? What, what yeah. am I supposed to do but, against him? he had this? a smile on his face at the same time. You know, you know you're up against one hell of a player. But he gave him a good yeah. game. And I think that shows how Evans has advanced as well. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, I think with Dan Evans, probably the motivation this time, quite funny, uh, was the stranger sitting next to his girlfriend in the box. What was that all about? And oh, how right. did he get there? Because he stopped the match 
to get the guy removed, whoever oh, this guy that. is. So uh, yeah, um, I don't. I, I've got very sketchy um, knowledge of what happened, but you know, he he stopped the match and made sure the guy was escorted away from the box. It does make you wonder about security. You know, they yeah. are up against it, these guys. But uh, whether that was a motivation, I don't know. So um, quite interesting. But he did well Look, to get a set. He did did do well. But you really know that against these top players, you have to get the early set because mm. Alcaraz doesn't lose if he loses the first set. He'll still probably go on and win. But yeah. Dan yeah. Evans needed the first set so if you build on it. But, you yeah, know, I, it's, I think it's the same story like with Djokovic winning matches comfortably if, although he makes a fuss he'll get to the final but wouldn't it be great if Draper can cause some upset along the way Were you were you surprised at Swiatek going out? Well um, I think you're always going to lose two or three uh, players that think they're going to do well um, I think she's probably burning out a bit and probably needs to rest because she's going out of majors quite quite early. Um, but maybe it's it's a chance for one of the other team, uh, the other players, to, to go on and do quite well. Um, you know, I always talk about Jeva, she is still in it. But I wonder if Madison Keys could be uh, an outside bet. You know, she seems to be uh, doing well in front of the home crowd. Just beating Pegula. Has she? Yeah. So that's that's another one. I mean, interesting on that uh, Switek situation because um, the Russian girl who beat her said that I think it's the third time she's beaten her. Whenever she speeds up the play, Switek doesn't seem to like that. She wants more time on the ball. Yeah. And she she plays f f very forcibly. And I think I've seen that. I saw that at Wimbledon as well. Where yeah, that's exactly how she rhythm. Yes, yeah. exactly. exactly. She hits hard, but she doesn't actually take the fastball well herself. And I wonder whether she's been fed a lot of really uh, good balls to, to, to hit hard. And they sort of concentrated on that with her, you know, saying, yeah, you can finish the point early. But actually, at the end of the day, the minute there's a quick, quick ball, she's struggling with it. And it's not as if she doesn't get to the ball. She does, but she she can't get it back. Ostapenko so, even flagged up that not just her, but she even mentioned that there's, you know, the three other biggest hitters on on the circuit seem to be the ones that uh, Swiatek has had the biggest problems against. Yeah. So in the press yeah. conference, she actually flagged it up. So, you know, you almost think that's one of those, a bit like when people talked about Kevin Peterson couldn't bat against left arm spin. Suddenly all the left arm spinners right. came out in cricket. Is it now going to be that people try and speed up the game against her because they, well, I think they a... have to you've got to find the weakness and the weakness is pace with her i'm mm. sure of it i'm still quite surprised she doesn't go on and do a bit do a bit better but you know it's a bit late for her in this tournament <laughs> it, an surprised. interesting story interesting story justin with wozniaki um she caroline wozniaki she uh obviously retired and has come back, had a couple of kids in the meantime. And obviously, well, not obviously, was world number one previously, and is coming back and doing well in this tournament. She seems to be, I mean, she's a Dane, isn't she? She's a, but she's a fa crowd favourite. People seem to really like her personality. So Possibly. I mean, you know, I do think it's good when they said they've retired and they're becoming a family, and, and then they think, Do you know what, I'm going to give it a go. I mean, Williams tried it. Uh, she really wanted to win one as a mum. She never managed it. Maybe we're going to get it. Um, you know, it, it, they probably have nothing to lose when they no, come that's, back. That's, mm. that's true. And and wiser experience and all the rest of it you're bringing to the fore. And clearly a very good tennis player and had a period of yeah. restaurant. So, yeah, some very good pluses there. As you as you look yeah. at the next few days, and literally they're playing as we're talking. This is Monday night. How do you see it panning out, Justin? I mean, you know what you say. What you think the men's final might be? What about the women's? Oh, that's you know. I always say it's wide open because you can pick on it on a girl, and then you find that they don't get very 
very far. I mean, I'd have thought Jabir would have had enough power in her game if she's up against people that, let's say, feed the ball from side to side to her and she can reach it um, to to go all the way. So uh, whether, whether I put my neck on the, li- on the line, I'd say, you know, possibly her, possibly Madison Keys. Mm-hmm. She's. I think she's she's enjoying it in front of the, the home crowd. But you know, they're, they're there to prove you wrong. The other girls. And Alcaraz, so, you know, the man. I think that that's where I am with it. Alcaraz and Draper, the final. <laughs> I think. You know, you, well, that be the that. I think they meet each other actually in a semi. I think. No, I think, I think I you're don't, right. Don't can't remember on the draw, but um. Yeah, so uh, Djokovic will have to lose to one of them. It would be quite good. It'd be good yeah. if he loses to Drake. But yeah, it's um, that's how I see it. It's, it'll be Djokovic one side against Alcaraz, unless they can, somebody can upset him. I think he's in the for, such good form, and he seems to be getting better. He's not levelled out. There seems to be more from his game. And more, you know, he's going to pick up a lot of um, ATP events over the next sort of twelve months. Maybe, maybe this Grand Slam, and maybe, maybe get the Aussie as well. And there's a lot, a lot for for a young man to do uh, to go on and achieve. Do you are you a kind Quite of athletic, are you a kind of traditionalist about the American Open and the way that the players can virtually play anything, any colours and is that okay by you? Are, you? are you relaxed about that? Should it be more traditional, like Wimbledon? I've never been somebody that... I've had people coming past our centre uh, every now and again, and they'll say, oh, it's so nice seeing four players wearing white out there. I'm glad you hold up with traditions. And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I look around, they're all, they're all wearing white today. How <laughs> unusual. Because they're normally in a luminous greens, oranges, uh, black shirt, you know, whatever it is. I don't mind as long as it's sports gear. And let's face it, if they're young people and that's what they want to wear, that's the future. But I do want Wimbledon to remain as white. At US Open, they can wear a cat suit or whatever they want to uh, wear. That's fine. Where where are you on VAR? Um, on VAR, uh, I think uh, if if you go on to if you look at football and things, I think it's still seems like it goes wrong all the time. They, I think yeah. they give some funny decisions, but it seems to be worse in the Premier League and it does in the Women's World Cup to me. But do you think it? Do you think it's going to take hold in tennis? Well, I mean, they, they've always had this system. So, uh, Hawkeye, um, I don't know. They're going to they're going to take away the lines, people, aren't they? I th- yeah. I think that would be. I think that will be quite disappointing. It, kind of the drama, especially at Wimbledon, is seeing all these people go on in um, in their sort of very expensive and very smart-looking um, yeah. clothing. And then uh, you, you have, like, I don't even know how many they have, umpire, you know, your umpire and probably eight other officials on court. I think that, that that should remain. But then people like Tim Hemmen, I think it was, said, oh, well, if it goes that way, uh, then Wimbledon will follow. And I think, well, that's a great shame. And a lot of people at work, actually, because they employ a lot of lot of line judges. I was going to yeah, say, so, there's not, not much in the way of transferable skills there, is there, into other uh, other jobs? So, yeah. No. Yeah? No, I'd rather than keep them. That's my opinion. Now, I know um, I have Libby here, and you've never managed to get to speak to her but i thought i'd just get her on just to say hello oh, good she can tell you a little bit about herself yeah uh, excellent she's been my daughter since uh oh, whenever it was and here she yeah. how are you doing Hi. Libby? Hi, Libby. How are you? Thank, yeah i love to see you thank you for helping your dad with the technicals tonight that, that was brilliant yeah, that's what i am the assistant <laughs> yeah so are you person. are you following the, the open are you enjoying it and I've been days. reading a lot about it. Um, I haven't actually watched any yet, just purely because I've been away. Um, yeah. But I will be watching. Um, I know there's a match on now that looks quite interesting. But um, I personally like watching it for seeing all the fashion and what who's wearing what and if they've got a day outfit, a night outfit. I love seeing all of that because I was a big fan of Sharapova. 
and she'd have a day outfit and a night outfit and I couldn't wait to see what was going to come um <laughs> I, I think that's great ones to fight like I think has good outfits I always like to see what he's wearing it's massive it's why I was into tennis was the fashion because I could be really feminine but play an aggressive game of tennis it's a great combination <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's a good sport to do it. But now you are back. Will you be glued, glued to the television to to see that and the tennis over the next few days? Yeah, I would definitely be watching because um, I do like seeing. I do like the U.S. Open as I've been there. Um, I think I went in two thousand and seven. Um, I enjoyed it the most, and I've been to Wimbledon and the French Open. And that's the one I like most was the US. It's a lot of fun. So between sort of games, there's a lot of music and dancing. It's very party, fun. There's a lot <laughs> going on there. So I've always enjoyed that one. It's always been um, an extremely fun Grand Slam. Yeah, quite a big difference from the tradition of Wimbledon, which is, is nice in its own way, but that's almost it's like the opposite very- end of the... And, it's and completely the different because it's very British and there is silence between change of ends and a, a murmuring of people discussing the tennis. Um, people are very smartly dressed at Wimbledon. Um, it's a definitely a different feel. And I'd say the French Open again is different. I've, I found the French one the hardest one because people do push and shove wherever you are. So if I was watching somebody on the court, they, a man would stand directly in front of me being six foot and me at five foot two. And I wouldn't be able to see a thing. They would just do that. Um, which didn't, it made the enjoyment less. But I just love seeing all the different surfaces. There's not many sports out there where you can go and see someone play on clay and that same person play on grass and then you watch them on a hard court. So I do like all the different grandstands for that as well. Mm. And I think that perspective on the fashion is exactly, you know, that's wonderful to get a different perspective because I wouldn't have been able to contribute much to that conversation. I'm surprised. (laughs) (laughs) It's why I got into tennis. It's so funny because people ask me, why did you get into tennis? And one of the reasons was the fashion because I wanted to still be girly. Yeah. And yeah, do the boys' sport, especially in my era where girls didn't really do sport. I did football and things. I was the only girl that did football. Um, and I didn't like the outfits. I thought they did not look good. Um, but with tennis, I, I really did enjoy that. Um, I love the fashion side of it. I'm also one of the reasons she uh, wanted to do tennis. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's also because I was very good at tennis um very very quickly and i think anybody that does achieves quite a lot in little time is probably going to get some sort of enjoyment out of that i actually you know the moment that she wanted to play tennis and it was quite funny she we used to do a pay and play at one of the clubs i was at and we're doing a return of serve and at the time my serve was decent was getting i won't pretend it was that fast but it was pretty quick and Libby'd done the pay and play, and then she uh, we're explaining, don't take your racket back, and let's just uh, try and make a return off the serve, and all my players having two or three goes. And Libby said, oh, I want to go. So I gave her a racket. She, I've never seen a bit of ball, because she'd never really shown any interest. And I hit my best serve of the night. She learned this backhand from watching what we're doing and hit a winner straight down the line. Yeah. And she said, Dad, I want to do tennis. And I yeah, said, that yeah, is you're going to do it. Maybe you want to do tennis. <laughs> It's cool. It's called winning, Libby. That's that's yeah. The that, that's why I like it. <laughs> it's not the taking part. It never was. That is a lie. If someone said that to me, it's not true. You have to part, but you're not there to make up the numbers. I'm there yeah. to win. I've got that mentality. I win a lot because I want to win. Yeah, and no, I, I, I'm exactly the same. I, I was saying to somebody the other day, even in my dreams which I don't normally remember, I wake up and I know they've been competitive. I've yeah. been set a task to do something, you know, and, and uh, all night I'm sort of toiling with this task. I can't, you can't take that out of you. That's either there or, or it isn't. Yeah, and, no, uh, I can't play Monopoly. 
No, I get very I am the banker, but I don't trust anyone. Like, I'm going to win that game. <laughs> Board gets flipped over. <laughs> no, I, honestly, it's so funny. If you play that as a family, that is where you learn where your role is in a family. Because if <laughs> mum plays and I'm getting upset because I haven't got enough hotels or houses she'll be like oh here's some hotels here's some houses give them to me yeah. and i'll take them and i'll take everyone because i'm little yeah well I, sue was saying uh, my wife was saying that uh, she learned how bad my competitiveness was when we we're on our honeymoon and we we're playing chess and yeah. it, it demonstrated how chess pieces can be thrown in temper you yeah. know so that's that's how that's pathetic that. i am but, uh, no, I am the same. I'm like that with my husband. Um, we <laughs> once played table tennis. Well, that was a disaster because we're both very competitive. <laughs> and we had some disagreements on how that went down, as well as badminton. I'm just a bit aggressive in the way that I play. <laughs> 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 well, I know on my honeymoon, I didn't have a chess set. I had other things on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just speak my mind. I get in a lot of trouble for it, too. But, yeah, um, me, me too. But anyway... Yeah. As I said earlier, thank you, both of you, for being there. It really makes an entertaining uh, piece tonight. Yes, of course, about American uh, tennis and the Open, but equally, you two people who are passionate about a sport of tennis and other sports as well. And I appreciate you being with us. Thank you very That's much. Very welcome. And we'll see you probably in the new year, or unless you do the end year stuff i can't remember if we do that we'll talk we'll about it but yeah we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll find an excuse to get you back in certainly yeah, yeah we'll find out okay <laughs> cheers each thank you very much thank you both bye. take care folks bye. Bye. Yeah, it was lovely to get them both there tonight and obviously from a practical point of view um an insight into the second week of the open as well but lovely to meet libby and yeah bringing it, uh, us to a conclusion on this episode uh, really enjoyed it with 10 different sports. Some interesting opinions on the contact side as well. Um, as I said before, you know, we don't mind if you agree or disagree with us. Tell us. But sometimes it's a bit of a shock when we hear it. And I just wanted to express that tonight as well. I think we'll we'll take the view with any of our listeners that uh, Brian Clough used to take. You know, we'll, we'll talk about it for 20 minutes and then we'll agree that I am right. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah we always have the final word here it's our podcast <laughs> that we do what we want but anyway lovely uh, brings a conclusion to an interesting episode as ever and we'll anticipate no expect you demand you with us next week at a time and a place that suits you see you later bye cheerio folks null and void with tony grundy and andy callahan Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk.